This morning we're continuing with our study of the Gospel of Luke, and I'd like to read uh, read for you Luke chapter 6. Um, we're going to look at verses 17 to 26, and then verses 43 to 45. So I'd like to read that together, and then we'll dismiss the kids to Children's Church. So follow along on the screen, or on the Bible or tablet or whatever it is that you use, uh, this chunk of scripture we're reading from the ESV, the English Standard Bible today. And he, that is Jesus, came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. And then in verses 43, and 45, we see Luke wrapping up this chunk of scripture with the scripture that I will read is the benediction later today. And Jesus says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Church, can we pray together? Thank you, God, for this chance to be together, to study your word, to worship and sing and to pray. Lord, now, as we engage our minds, would you please wake us up, quicken us, and prepare us for whatever it is that you'd like to say to us as we try to figure out how it is that we can live out this life you've called us to. Thank you, Lord. We love you. and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we have Children's Church today. That means that from now until the end of the sermon time, we have a special lesson for kids four years old through first grade. That's Children's Church. And then we also have Waterway 2-5 today, which is for kids who are in grades two through five. So I'd like to invite you guys to come forward. We also have, um, I know there's lots of little ones in the room, so if you, have, uh, if you have a little baby or an infant or a child that's two or three years old who needs, um, who needs a different spot to hang out, we do, have, um, we do have nurseries here today too, and those are open right now. If you're not sure, uh, you can go out to the lobby and a person out there will connect you with where you need to be. How are you guys doing today? Good. Good? All right. All right. Well, I am glad you're here. Before you go out to Children's Church and Waterway 2-5, can we pray together today? Yeah, come on down, guys. Yeah, can we pray together? So there's lots of different ways that we can pray, but I like to pray here during this children's church time. I usually put my hands together and I bow my head and close my eyes so you guys can pray with me if you want to. God, thank you for these boys and girls. I thank you that you've brought them here today. And Lord, I am excited that they are ready for children's church and Waterway 2-5. 
Lord, help their leaders and their teachers to do a great job telling these boys and girls about you. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, that is a big group today. Big group. God bless all of you. And now, look, all of you guys can spread out. You see the extra space you have in your rows. You can relax and, and settle in. Um, so, hey, and, and Dan, it sounds just a little hot up here. I, maybe that's just my ears, but um, just wanted to, wanted to give a heads up there. So we're in Luke chapter 6, and we've been studying through the Gospel of Luke since back in the beginning of December. And today we're kind of tracking through, and we're at this spot. This is actually our second sermon that's coming out of Luke chapter 6. Um, last week, Pastor Steve preached a sermon that included these passages at the very beginning of Luke 6. Um, in verse 4, it said that on a Sabbath, Jesus said to the people around him that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. And then it says in Luke 6, verse 6, and again, Steve preached about this last week. It said that on another Sabbath, Jesus, knowing the thoughts of the people around him, healed a man on the Sabbath. And this made a lot of people mad because that was something that, that some of the really super strict religious folks didn't think should happen. And it says in Luke 6, 11, that those religious folks were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. They were so offended. Jesus did something on purpose on multiple Sabbaths, kind of poking the bear. And I think Steve's sermon on these verses last week stirred up some conversations among you guys as well. I know our small group had a really amazing discussion about what a Sunday is like for us in 2024. Um, that, by the way, is what small groups are for. Um, we have a small group program here at Waterway, and anybody's invited to join one of these small groups. They meet in different people's houses throughout the week to study scripture. Maybe some groups uh, talk about the sermon from that week and, and pray together and, and think together. If you'd like to uh, be part of a small group and you're not, talk to Pastor Steve. Steve, where are you at? Raise your hand. He's the guy in the light blue, Carolina blue water or Waterway shirt over here. Carolina had a good weekend. Poor Dukies. But... Um, but uh, this is what our small groups are for. And I would just tell you that because of some of the fun conversations that have come up, and frankly, because of the many different ways that different people here deal with what you might call a Sabbath or, or what your Sunday looks like, we're going to circle back around on that. And in a couple weeks, we're going to have an evening where anybody who's interested can come together and we're going to do kind of a big Bible study on that. Not scheduled yet, but you can look forward to that because, uh, yeah, there's some fun stuff to talk about. But that's Luke chapter 6. That was the beginning of Luke 6. And then it says, in those days, this is verse 12, in those days Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and he continued in prayer all night to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. This is Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. And so the picture is Jesus goes up on the mountain, he prays all night, and there's lots of people following him. Those are disciples. And the disciples, this was a crowd that eventually reached hundreds, probably even thousands in moments. These are people who said, yep, I want to learn from you. I want to hear from you. That's what a disciple is. Now, out of those disciples, Jesus chose 12 whom he named apostles. Anybody in the room that can name all 12 apostles? Who can do it? Austin, you've got it. Name them loudly for me. Do I have to? Yes. James, the son of Alphaeus, Judas Iscariot, James, 
Judas, the son of James, and Judas. Thank you, Austin. I bet you'll have an opportunity to do that tonight, too. Church, that's what youth Bible quizzing is. And the reason why we're, I'm preaching through Luke right now is because our youth who are studying through Luke are going to have quiz matches. And tonight, there's a pretty good chance that one of the questions is going to be, name the 12 apostles. The 12 apostles were these men who were specially set apart by Jesus to be people who would be commissioned to spread the gospel around the world and be leaders in the churches. So there's a big group of disciples. There's a little group of apostles. And it says in verse 17, and this is our scripture for this morning, 17 of Luke chapter 6, that Jesus came down with them. Remember, came down because he was up on the mountain all night praying. Came down and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. In other words, people from all over were coming to see what was going on with Jesus. And it says in verse 18 that there was a great multitude of people who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. Do you remember why Luke wrote down his gospel? Do any of you recall what it said at the very beginning? Luke was sponsored by a guy named Theophilus. Theophilus said, hey, write this all down for me. I, I want to hear about this Jesus. And Luke said that he had done lots of research and was paying careful attention so that he could give a careful and specific account of Jesus to Theophilus. And so all through the beginning of the book of Luke, Luke has been establishing that Jesus is who he said he was. He is the son of God. And he talks about his birth. He talks about his childhood a little bit. He talks about his baptism and his, and his temptation. He talks about Jesus coming through that perfectly. And now here is Luke saying that this Jesus, this Jesus had power over people's minds. That is, he could speak to them. They were drawn to him. They wanted to hear him. Jesus was a powerful teacher. And we see that Jesus has power over people's bodies. Not only does he teach in a way that they want to hear, but he heals diseases. They're sick, he heals them. Power over the mind and the intellect. Power over the body and illness. And then power over, over evil spirits. Jesus is casting out unclean spirits. Do you see what Luke is showing us? As Luke continues to try to give his orderly account, he is showing that Jesus has so many different kinds of power. Power in mind and body and in spirit. This is Jesus. And it says in verse 20 that Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. That would not have made a lot of sense to people because in that time, just like in today, poor poverty does not feel like a blessing. And he said, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. When your stomach growls, do you feel blessed? How many of you say, oh, finally, I'm hungry. <laughs> When's the last time you were hungry? But he says, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. And I just want to ask you, church, those of you who are sitting here, those of you who took your time to be out here at Waterway Church this morning, do you believe this? Do you believe what Jesus said here? Do you believe that it's possible for the poor people to inherit the kingdom of God? Do you believe that it's possible for the hungry to be satisfied? Do you believe that those who weep now will someday laugh? Do you buy it? 
Do you believe it? Do you believe that you're blessed when people hate you because of what you say about Jesus? I, I think some of us just still don't get it, don't buy it, don't believe it. I, I, think, I think sometimes you and I think too small. We think too small because we forget who God is or we forget who we are. I mean, honestly, on the average Wednesday afternoon, do you remember who you are and who God is? Do you remember, are you living with the full realization that you are a son or a daughter of the king? Are you living with that every day? Because if you live with that, your poverty is the kind of thing that, that you can kind of lay aside because it's not your identity anymore. You are a son, a daughter of the king, and the kingdom of God is yours. See, our identity, folks, our identity is under assault, and we forget who we are. What happens when we don't know who we are, it makes us insecure because we're just not sure. And when we're insecure, that makes us afraid because if I don't know who I am and if I don't have a foundation, then what if somebody comes in and, and blows me away? And our fear then stirs up a need for control. And this causes conflict between people. And it makes us feel like being poor or being hungry or, or, or weeping or being hated by the world. It makes us feel like these are things that just are signaling the end. And yet Jesus calls these people blessed. If you're poor, yours is the kingdom of God. If you're hungry right now, don't fret. Because if you have your identity in Christ, one day you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep right now. He says, for you're going to laugh one day. See, our hearts and the position of our relationship with Jesus, that's what determines our ultimate blessedness, not our situation. Transformation of the human heart is the only thing that makes a difference. And what Jesus says here is, if your heart is transformed and if you are focused on me, it doesn't matter what your situation is, poor or hungry or, or weeping. He says, if you're following after me and actually following after me, your identity now is in me. Your identity is not in all this other stuff. And so you've got nothing to lose. But church, do you buy that? Because I hear a lot of people lately freaking out, afraid that they're going to lose something. The other day I heard a pastor concerned about what if his church loses his tax-exempt status? Now, I don't want to have to pay more taxes any more than you do. And I know that there could be some real estate ramifications for churches who have been tax-free for many years. I know it would be a big headache, but honestly, what happens if the government takes away our tax-exempt status? Nothing. I mean, what are, what are they going to do? What, we, we can't gather and worship and pray because we have to pay taxes? Okay. I mean, Jesus, Jesus helps people to catch fish with gold coins in their mouth. What do we have to worry about? I, I hear people concerned about, you know, what if, what if they are personally taxed more? And, hey, I don't want to pay any more taxes just like you don't either. I, I like to be able to spend my money the way I decide to spend my money. But, I mean, honestly, what if, what if it all goes away? What Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor. See, most of us in this room are not poor. A couple of you might be. But, but most of us are not poor. And, and when we hear blessed are the poor, it's just kind of, a, it's kind of a nice sentiment that, oh, those poor folks are going to be fine. Church, do you realize that if you or I become poor, we're just joining the ranks of the blessed? Do you realize 
Every single thing that we have is already just a, God, a blessing from God anyway. If it gets taken away, are, are we suddenly less blessed? No, we just might be hungrier. And frankly, most of us could deal with being a little bit more hungry a little bit more often. We're not struggling, are we? I mean, what if we understood that, that even if things hurt now and, and even if we weep now, what if we understand that, that our Jesus in heaven who, who has given us the keys of the kingdom, what if we understand that this weeping is just for now? I mean, what if we understood that this pain is just for the moment? What if we understand that the challenge of this life is just for a season? I, I mean, what if we realize that our identity is actually in Christ and not in our situation? I mean, we would be unstoppable. And yet we forget our identity. It makes us insecure. That makes us afraid. That causes conflict between people. And our lives spin out of control. You see this in your neighbor's friends. Do you believe that the poor are blessed? That the hungry and those who weep and, and those who are hated by society, do you believe that they're blessed? This is the words of Jesus. And then Jesus goes on, he says, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Jesus pronounces these woes, which should make us, frankly, slow down and say, woe, because many of us are rich by the standards of history and by the standards of our world today. Many of us are rich. Many of us are full now. Many of us are laughing now. Now, let's be clear. There is nothing wrong with being rich. God gives wealth as a blessing sometimes. There is nothing wrong with being well-fed. Food comes from God. And in fact, God says that he will take care of our needs. There's nothing wrong with laughing. There's nothing wrong with joy. And there's certainly nothing wrong with a good reputation. God wants us to let our light shine. There's nothing wrong with being blessed. But woe to those whose blessedness makes them forget their need for Jesus. Woe to those whose identity is in the fact that I am rich. Because when we think of ourselves as rich, we can forget our need for the Lord. Woe to those who are full now because we can forget that we are supposed to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Woe to those who are laughing now, just kind of that satisfied, smirking laugh. Because we can forget our deep need. Again, it comes back to identity. How do you see yourself? Are you rich and so you don't need anyone or anything? You make your own destiny? Watch out. Woe to you, because only Jesus gives us a hope and a future, not our money. And then there's this fascinating combination of messages from Luke. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize these really quick, because this is a big chunk of verses, and, and we want to keep moving along so we can kind of keep pace with, with some of what the quiz program is doing. We're doing a survey of Luke. We're not going verse by verse. But here, starting in verse 27 and all the way down through verse 36, Jesus is recorded as giving a deep and profound and radical message about love. After pronouncing these, these riches and these, these, uh, these blessings and these curses, these blessings and these woes, after talking to these people about who they are and where their identity really should be, that it should be in Christ and not in their situation, after all that, Jesus says, I say to you who hear, this is verse 27 of Luke chapter 6, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Ooh, that's starting to get heavy already. That's just the first verse. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. 
To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. He steals your jacket, give him your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. And then Jesus goes on, Luke 6.32. He says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Jesus says, love everyone, even those who abuse you, those who would hurt you, those who would steal from you, those who would borrow from you and can't pay you back. Love your enemies. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Church, say amen. Because without the mercy of God, you and I have nothing. This is radical teaching from Jesus. And look what comes next. Look what comes next. In verse 37, it starts with a very well-known, judge not, and you will not be judged. That's what most people hear first. That's where most people, frankly, that's where they stop. Because our world loves to talk about that one, right? Judge not, lest ye be judged. Especially when we're talking about love, this kind of radical love that calls us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. But contrary to what the radio might tell us, love is not blind. It says in Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul writing just a few decades later after this whole speech and sermon from Jesus. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4 that Christ himself gave the apostles and then a whole list of people kind of within the church structure. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Why? Why did Christ give these jobs and these titles? Verse 12 of Ephesians 4. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach, reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Christ has called out people to teach others so that we can all be built up. Why? Because in Ephesians 4, 14, it says, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Jesus says, your identity must be in the Lord, not in all the messages around you. And then here's the meat of it. Ephesians 4, 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, Truth and love, they go together. They're not mutually exclusive. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So many times people in our world hear about love and they start to think that that means that the truth has to be sacrificed. I can't say that to him. What's he going to think? It might hurt his feelings. I, I can't suggest that to her. What, how is this going to go? Love in our world is often confused with blind acceptance. Do you see this? Do you see this? Love in our world, how many times have you we have to accept him how he is? Now, there is, I think, for a lot of people, a loving intention in that. 
But that's only because most people don't fully understand what love is. You understand what love is when you read Ephesians chapter 4. Love is when we speak the truth, all of us can grow and build ourselves up in Christ Jesus, becoming mature and understanding the reality of our times, not tossed back and forth by the waves. But so many times, so many times I've heard people say, well, if you love me, you have to allow me to. And then they list some kind of ridiculous, sinful inclination that they have. No, love doesn't just say, I love you, so do whatever you want. Love tells the truth and points people back to Jesus. It says, brother, I love you, but watch out. You are on a deadly path. Love says, I do love you. I'm looking out for you. I want you to grow in your faith. But sister, be careful. You are just destroying the people around you. We know this because Jesus continued in his teaching. Now back to, back to Luke chapter 6. Jesus says, love, love your enemies, love everybody, look out for them, pray for them. And then there's this whole judge not, or let me, let me say it correctly for those of you who are really paying attention to the text. Judge not and you will not be judged. Jesus goes on as we kind of summarize this little chunk. After this radical love, he says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? There's a problem here of hypocrisy. We know it because Jesus says it. You hypocrite. Luke 6 42, you hypocrite, first take out the log of your own eye. Then, and this is what our world misses, and this is what so many Christians have forgotten. Jesus says, take the log out of your own eye. Deal with your stuff. Get help. Don't continue to be blinded by your problems. But once you have taken the log out of your own eye, once you have been saved and healed and restored, then, this is the rest, and if you're in your Bible or if you're in your, underline this, this is so important for us in our life today, and if he, or in, sorry, in Luke 6, 42, then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. The warning is against hypocrisy. Jesus says, just take the log out of your eye, then take the speck out of your brother's eye. Have you ever had a speck of anything in your eyeball? It's amazing to me just over the years as I've watched this happen in myself and I've seen it in others. If you get a piece of dirt in your eye, you stop everything to take care of that, don't you? I mean, what will you keep doing if your eye is bothering you? Nothing. I'm not even talking about a log hanging out of your head, some kind of freakish Pinocchio situation. I'm talking about just a little speck that's in your eye. You want that thing out of there. Right now, this is why like big, burly, crazy motorcycle gang guys wear those goofy goggles. <laughs> Even those fellas, tough as they are, don't mess with my eyes. Am I right? Don't mess with my eyes. I don't want a speck in there at all. Jesus says, yes, your brother does have specks in his eye, just like you had a log in your eye. Jesus says, love doesn't leave us there. Love gets the log out, and then we can help to get the speck out. What he's saying is, don't judge in some kind of hypocritical way that puts yourself above anyone else. No, we all have a need for restoration. We all have a need for forgiveness. We all have a need to continue to grow and become mature in Jesus Christ. And we've got to do it together because on our own, all we do is walk around with logs in our eyes with no idea. I'm fine. But with our brothers and sisters, we can point it out in love. Remember, 
This is the beautiful thing here about Luke. Luke is putting this together and he gives this whole thing, love, 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 and then follows it up right away with specks, logs, be careful, be holy, but be devoted to each other. Love and truth coming together. But most of our world only wants one or the other. We want love, and, and I'm just going to love you and accept you, and sister, you just be, you be whatever you want to be. You think you're a man, well, you just go ahead and be a man. I'm not going to tell you the truth because I love you, and I don't want to hurt your feelings. You see how this gets funky so fast. Some of us fall into that love thing. We think that love has to set the truth aside. Oh, and then there are others, and this isn't just in the truth. I'm sorry, this isn't just in the church. But there are others who get so wrapped up in telling the truth that they put all the love aside. They're just taking the log out of their eye and then they're turning around and beating you over the head with it. Well, I'm just telling the truth. I've got to tell you. Truth and love have to come together. Do you see, this is essential, not just for Paul's teaching in Ephesians chapter four, where we speak the truth in love, but we can see it as Luke is so carefully lining out the power of Jesus and now the teachings of Jesus. Jesus says, love everyone radically but there also must be speaking of truth in that same love radically so much so that you are willing to deal with your junk and then be able to help out your brother. In these two teachings, Jesus is telling the crowd around him and we hear it echoing today that we're supposed to love our enemies. We're supposed to pray for those who abuse us. We're supposed to give away our money, even to people who can't pay us back. How do you like that one? And we're supposed to deal with our own issues so that we can help our brothers and our sisters with their issues. This from Jesus is an invitation into a deep life with him that most people in his day didn't accept. And it's an invitation to a kind of life of love and truth that frankly, most of us have not accepted either. Because most of us aren't looking for a radical life. Most of us are looking for a comfortable life. I don't wanna make waves. I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't want to stir the pot, rock the boat, poke the bear, you name the metaphor. I just want a nice life. I just want a fair life. I just want a life that kind of pays off where, where at night I can sit on the porch and think about how nice things are. Jesus says, woe to you. Woe to you if you are too satisfied right now in your situation. Jesus says, you need to be hungry for me, and I am calling you to something bigger. I mean, think again. We've got just a few minutes, so I'm going to take them all up here. Think about what we've read in this passage. Love for your enemies. How many people do you know who do this? Do you do this? I hear people say, oh, it's going to take me some time. I need to try to find the strength. What a cop-out. I've said that, too. I understand it may take a long time for you to feel like you want to love someone or feel good while you're loving someone, but love is a decision we make. It's not something that we fall into. Love is something we can do today. Jesus is giving us a call to a radical way of life. Even if they are abusing us, even if they are hurting me, even if they are stealing my money, I am called to love them. Do you know people who live like that? He says, pray for those who abuse you. How many people do you know who do this? And, and this is something we've got to be very careful about in today's world with today's language, right? Those who abuse others, that is a despicable act. That is an evil act. Jesus knew all about it because there's nothing happening today that didn't happen then. But what does he say? 
pray for those. How many people actually pray for the salvation and the restoration and the well-being of the despicable people in their lives? I hear more people, Christians even, calling for the destruction of those who have wronged them. Put them in the chair. Jesus is calling us to a radical way of life, to love even our enemies and pray even for those who abuse us. Give away your money to those who can't pay you back. Uh, there is no excuse in the scripture for laziness. Jesus isn't talking here about people who ask you for money or who ask you for a favor, even when you know that they're going to blow it on things that are going to hurt themselves. You don't need to give a guy 50 bucks so he can go buy another case of beer. What Jesus is talking about here is for people who ask you for money, people who have a legitimate need but still can't pay you back. I think, I think some of you are better at this one than some of the other ones. Now, we understand there need to be boundaries on all the ways that people might try to mooch from us because, again, some people might just use that money to turn around and hurt themselves or do evil. But what about the poor souls? What about those folks who could just never seem to get ahead? How generous are you? You who have enough money that you can buy medicine for your pets. How generous are you with the people who are lost in your world? This is a radical call from Jesus, right? Dealing with your own issues so you can help your brothers deal with theirs. Not just pointing it out in some superior way. Hey, you've got a problem. No, after this radical lesson on love, he reminds us that we are all going to be evaluated by our Lord someday with the same measure that we use. And so let's all of us come before God and, and be forgiven and be restored and let's help everyone else find that. Everyone who's willing and able to come to Jesus, let them find that restoration, that salvation. Take the log out of your eye. Then you'll see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. This is a call for a radical kind of community based on a radical kind of love. But how many people do this? How many churches are known for this? Most people I know, and myself from time to time, would rather just pretend the logs and the specks don't even exist, which is madness if we think about the image that Jesus gave us, because you can't ignore that speck in your eye. We are called to be better than just letting everything go and calling it love. And we are called to be better than just telling everybody the truth and mowing them down with our harshness. We are called to speak the truth in love. We are called to be that kind of radical community. Church, if we don't show this to the world, who will? We're not doing it perfectly. We've all hurt each other in the past. We've all gotten out of whack. We're, we're either too much truth and not enough love or, or, or too much love and not enough truth. I know that a lot of you sitting here today are still kind of new to, to being here in, in this fellowship. Some of you, this is your first or second or maybe just your third time here and you're, you're figuring out what Waterway Church is all about. What, I'll tell you that I have experienced this congregation as a very loving congregation. And I've experienced this congregation as a rather truthful congregation. But we all get out of whack on certain issues at certain times. And I think we just need to pay a little bit better attention to making sure that the truth and the love are always wedded together. 
But we're doing this together, not just on our own. We're not just people who gather on Sundays, have a nice time together, and then go forget about it until next week. No, we're trying to do this in community, and that's why we do this thing called communion. Jesus, uh, on the night that he was betrayed, it says in Scripture, on the night that Judas would go and betray him and, and tell his captors where they could find him, on that night, Jesus, knowing that that would happen, he still offered communion. He said, he said this bread, he took it off the table, he said, this bread is my body. Eat it and remember my death. And this cup, he had wine. We use grape juice. His cup, he said, this is, this is my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. And so a couple of times a year, we come together as a church, and, and for those who have made a commitment to the church, for those who have made a commitment to Christ and saying, Jesus, I'm all in. I want to love. Jesus, I'm all in. I want to be restored, and I want to offer restoration in your name to others. We offer communion. As we say together, we are one family. We are all brothers and sisters who are in need, and we have been saved, and we are taking logs out of our eyes, and we're trying to help each other get splinters out of our eyes. We're, we're eradicating hypocrisy as much as we can, but we're recognizing our need. We come together and remember the death of Jesus Christ because that's where our hope is. He died so that we could be set free. He paid the price for our sins so that we wouldn't have to. And he gave up his life so that we could have a life eternal in heaven. And if you need to talk about that some more, I pray that you will. Talk about that with me or Steve or one of the elders or somebody at the connection table before you go today. But today we are going to take communion together as a recognition and as a remembrance that those of us who are here together still need Jesus. We need his love and we need his truth and we recognize that life is only found in pursuing his love, and his truth together. So church, um, we, have, we have the cup, which is the blood of Christ. We have bread, both regular free gluten bread and some uh, gluten-free bread. Come to the front and you'll be able to see if you have a, a problem with gluten, you'll, you'll be able to see which one's labeled how. But I want to invite you to the table now as we declare together that we're going to try to be the body of Christ, living out love and truth together. Can, can we pray together as we prepare for communion? God, in this time of communion, we are reminded what you've done for us. Jesus, we remember your death, your death on the cross. We remember the pain that you gave. We remember, we remember that life is not all just goodness and niceness and comfort. Lord, we know that life does include pain. Thank you, Jesus, for suffering that pain for us. And Jesus, we come together now remembering that you've promised that even those who are poor are blessed. Even those who are hungry are blessed. Even those who don't have a good reputation because of what they've said about you, Lord, they're blessed. And so together now, we come together recognizing that whatever's happening around us we recognize that life is really in you. And that no matter what our situation, when we are found in you, we are blessed. So thank you, Lord. Now, Jesus, as we consider eating this bread and drinking this cup, would you quicken our minds so that we can remember what you've done for us and so that we can remember what we're committing ourselves to? 
We are committing ourselves to being the body of Christ. We're committing ourselves to following your teaching. We're committing ourselves to loving and praying for our enemies. Lord, help us to take this seriously and to recognize our salvation joyfully. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So here's how we're going to do this. Um, Come down through the center aisle. Now, listen, not all of you are going to take communion. That's okay.